as we continue to worship our awesome God through the opening of His Word together. I was quickly reminded that I should talk about the guy who's been wandering around. Uh, he's, he's downstairs. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, his name's Daniel Bisasso. He's just doing some video for me because uh, I strong-armed him into coming. Uh, so he's, he's a really good guy, man of God. He's here with his family, too. So that's all he's doing. It's not some stranger just walking around. Well, maybe he is to you, but not for me. But that's it. Jonah 3 is where we'll be this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Jonah chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a, pew in fr- there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. There is a pew in front of you, unless you sit up here. But Baptists don't sit in the front row unless you're those two over there. So, <laughs> uh, Jonah chapter 3. Let us just open up in prayer. Father God, we just thank you and praise you that we can come together as your family to, to worship you. And Lord, as we continue to worship through the opening of your word, Lord, I pray that you are indeed glorified. I want to speak of you and I want to praise you. Lord, there's no gifts that can do this well outside of you. So by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power and appropriate affection. Use this sermon, God, to bring glory to your name joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. Amen. Jonah chapter 3 says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, not the first, the second, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, Three days' journey in breath, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey and calling out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king of his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let, men, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. You know, it's interesting. As you read these verses, I see something very similar coming out here. It's actually really similar. The beginning, these first two verses in chapter 3 are almost identical to the ones that we see in chapter 1. Verses 1 to 2. The word of the Lord has come to Jonah. We see that in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. 
But there's something different that begins to happen in Jonah's life. In chapter 3, there's somewhat of a different person that is presented than the person that we see in chapter 1. A lot has happened. Many lessons were learned, right? I don't know about you, but you learn a lesson really quick when you're inside something's stomach for three days. I don't know if it would take me three days to figure that out, but it took Jonah three days. Probably it would probably take me longer, if I'm honest. I'm really stubborn. The text simply points out that God spoke to Jonah again. There's no mention of reproach for the prophet's former disobedience. Do you check that? The God, God simply repeated his commands. Go, proclaim this news. See, while Jonah had taken quite a journey since the first command, God's will remained steadfast. God's command is the same as it was two chapters before. You will go to Nineveh and you will proclaim the message that I'm giving you. There's no option here. God has been working through circumstance to continue to change and to disciple Jonah so that he will fulfill what he has called, what God has called Jonah to do. See, this text, more than anything, points to God's sovereignty and his insistence upon the accomplishment of his will. It's amazing. In, remember Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah and the son of Arimathea, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Verse 2, But Jonah arose and he went the complete opposite direction as Nineveh. Completely opposite. He didn't want to do it. But God, in His grace, continues to work in him. So in verses 1 to 5, we see a God full of grace. The grace of God. See, in verse 1, it says this, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. God's saying, All right, Jonah, let's try this again. Right? He just got vomited out of a fish. All right, let's try this again. See, God's goal is to show himself to Jonah and Nineveh. And he continues on and he says, Go, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I'm telling you. This is the same message God calls Jonah to do way back in chapter 1, verse 1. God tells him to go again and to do it. He gets up and travels almost 500 miles from where he was vomited onto the seashore to where he's going to go in Nineveh. Taking about a month to do it. It's like everything has been set back to square one. There's familiarity here. See, Jonah rebels against God And instead of preaching to Nineveh, he runs in the complete opposite direction. God disciplines Jonah, then mercifully delivers him. God goes a further step by showing so much grace and mercy that he gives Jonah a second chance to do what he has commanded him to do. This is the thing that just blows my mind as I'm reading through this text, as I reflect upon my life. Because this has nothing to do, this has to do with us. When we're reading this, we're, we're seeing ourselves in here, right? We're seeing a God who's being so gracious, so merciful to Jonah. This is not about a fish. It's about an awesome God. 
who a second time gives Jonah a second chance to be obedient. And I just think about all the chances I have and God in his grace and his mercy just continues to give them to me. It's just amazing. So he continues on to this great city journey. It means it takes about three days to see all this stuff. As many of you know, we were just in, in, in uh, which one is it? Disneyland. <laughs> World. World. Oh, see. I don't know. It's Disney something. Florida. And uh, we were there. We, I think we walked like 30 kilometers in three days. It was a lot. And, and we still didn't see everything. Like you could probably spend a week or two just walking around just seeing stuff and then it would probably take you another week to just get through all the rides because the lineups are huge. But here, the Bible describes Nineveh as a great city that would take three days. And the text here is talking about it would take three days to see all the cool stuff that the city has in it. It's just packed full. It is such an important city and it's full of people. The great city journey. But this great city also means that there's so many people here. We see, and we'll get into this next week, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 11, it says this. God says, And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? God's compassion, again, shining through. Nineveh was a big city. God's saying, look at this, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people in it, people made in my image, and they are utterly lost with no idea of what is right or wrong. They are like little children who, who cannot even tell the difference between their right hand and their left hands. So God sends Jonah. Again, The God we see in the Old Testament is the God that we see in the New Testament. There's no unhitching of the Bible here. It comes together. The same God we see in the Old Testament is the same God we see in the New Testament. You can't unhitch it. They both show that God, that in His wrath, He remembers His mercy because He is a God who is compassionate and gracious. Here is a city of 120,000 people who don't even know what they're doing is evil. So what does God do? He sends a man to show them that what they're doing is evil. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh in verse 3 according to the word of the Lord. So unlike the first time, Jonah actually moves in obedience. So what we thought should happen actually begins to happen. See, God's second chance also meant that God was going to get his way with his servants. Jonah's deliverance through the belly of the great fish was not a way out of God's calling calling on his life. Our disobedience and the punishment that follows that disobedience does not mean that we get a get-out-of-jail-free card from doing what God originally called us to do. It means... That now that you've learned your lesson, you will do what you've been told to do. But just think about how much grace is being shown here. Not only did God forgive Jonah and restore him to his favor, but he also restored him to the office before him, before God. 
Jonah's job was to stand in the presence of Almighty God and proclaim the words of him, but Jonah ran from that. Yet God comes and works in Jonah's life and not only restores him, but restores him to the same job. That's an amazing thing. Reflect upon who God is. And then in verse 4, he says this, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I must say, this sermon gives me hope as a preacher. Because it's the worst sermon ever. Uh, forty days. And, and we'll learn later in, in, jo- in Jonah chapter 4 that even the passion and the heart behind those words aren't there. He's just like, I just picture him going up and just saying, 40 days, 40 days, yeah, 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that's it. And then he goes away and he goes sulks in chapter 4. And it gives me hope <laughs> as a preacher. <laughs> Yet God still uses it. God gives Nineveh a lot of time to listen to the message and to turn from the evil. If they didn't turn away, God would overthrow the city. Basically, he would annihilate it. Think Sodom and Gomorrah. Nothing left. And the Ninevites have been warned, and the Lord is about to bring his justice to bear against them. Why? Because of their evil deeds. We've got to remember that Nineveh was an evil, evil place. They took joy in inflicting pain upon other people. That's what they did. That was like they would have a party and chop off people's heads and stick them on poles. That was their idea of a good time. Hey, let's rape and pillage this city for now. They were not nice people. They were evil people. And the Ninevites have been warned. But not only have the Ninevites been warned, but so have you and I. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we have all, like sheep, have gone astray. That no, not, not one is innocent. So he says to you and he says to me, repent. Turn from your evil. Because doom is coming. May not be here now but we all die. Turn away from your sin and believe in the saving work of Jesus Christ and what he did for you and for me on the cross. See, in the message like this, uh, Jonah's message, or even to any gospel-proclaiming message at all, there's always two outcomes. A hardening of one's heart or a softening. And Nineveh here softens. And they respond. As you see in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. What an amazing thing. Here are people that Israel and Jonah are well aware are like the furthest people possible from the grace of God. There's no one further in their context, in their world context. They are so bad. Like, they're not even helping the old lady cross the street sort of thing. They're, they're killing the old lady. Like, they're so bad. Yet they believed in God. And then they show this 
this, this amazing thing comes through, that nobody is too far from God's grace. No one. If you're sitting there today going, oh man, I screwed up, I sinned so bad, I just, I can't. You're not too far. There's no one too far. The only time you're too far is when you're six feet under. You're not too far from God's grace. So we come along and they believe. And, they, and then they show this proper response to, to the belief is action. They, re, they repent. And the text goes on. They call for a, for a fast and put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is that stuff you kind of wrap in your trees. It's awful. I don't know. Like it's, if, if ever someone walks into this church wearing sackcloth, you know that it's been a rough day for them. <laughs> From the greatest of them to the least of them. But hold on. They repented. But Jonah's message clearly doesn't talk about repenting. So that's the question that I have here, right? It just says in 40 days you're doomed. See, when a prophet declared that judgment was coming because of evil, it was understood that judgment would take place if repentance didn't happen. God makes this really clear in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 18, it says this, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. The prophet's warning is an invitation to repent. And that's exactly what Nineveh does. God uses the proclamation of his word to show his mercy and to call people to himself. Do you see that it wasn't Jonah going and doing something? It was Jonah going and saying something. In God's wrath, he remembers his mercy because he is a God who is compassionate and gracious. And then the grace of repentance comes out in verses 6 to 10 because Nineveh responds to God's warning with humble repentance to the point that even the word reaches the king of Nineveh. It wasn't just, a public, it wasn't just the public that was repenting. The news of the people's repentance reached the ears of the king and he responds to the message. This is again saying, it doesn't matter where you are in the totem pole, you all need to repent. In a corporate setting, if the church is in need of repenting, it means the leaders have to do it too. And then it continues on. But the question comes to, to me is this. Do you see the response to God's warning? See, that mightiest person in the kingdom humbles himself by stepping down from his throne, removing his royal robes, covering himself with sackcloth and sitting in ashes. Here's the guy who's used to sitting in the lazy boy chair, who's now suddenly finding himself sitting in a pile of ash. And you see this. In the span of one verse, he has gone from supreme authority to utter humility. He arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. There is a physical response to our repentance. There is a turning away from our sin. There's no room for pride 
when we are face to face with the reality of our God and our sin. Our response should be brokenness. In verse 7, he continues on, and he issued a proclamation and, uh, and, and published it throughout Nineveh. It's interesting to look at these actions. And right here in this text, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. See, the language here is very specific. It's very, it goes from general to specific, the individual to the corporates. And their violence is literally from the violence which is in their hands. And we understand, like I just said, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, had a really great reputation for causing a whole lot of pain and suffering. But as they do this, they're not even sure that God would relent from this disaster. Because we see that in this text later on in verse 9. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent. They don't even know. They didn't know that the repentance would change anything. But the hope that, Jonah, that Jonah's God will see it and relent from being, bring, sorry, bringing his justice and wrath is there. Now, I see the same thing when I see you know, back in, in Jonah 1 and 2 where, where the, the sailors are, are panicking as they, our ship is sinking into the grounds. They cry out to God. They express their hope. The Hebrew literally means that we may not perish. And, the, and, 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 and they're crying out to God in that. Who knows? It is in God's hands whether a sinner should perish or to be delivered. But these pagans, these people who didn't even follow God, see that they can't do anything to change their situation. They just humble themselves and fall at the feet of God. The God who is compassionate and gracious and merciful. So for you and I, it's the same. You know, how often do we think we can fix our problems? You know, we try and roll faster. We try to act better. Forgetting that none of that change really matters unless repentance comes first. Unless we put our hope in the one who controls the waves and the wind. And then in verse 10, it comes along and says this. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. As the king and the people of Nineveh had hoped, God relented. There's no fire, there's no brimstone that's happening here that fell on a city like Sodom and Gomorrah. God pulled back his hand of judgments See, we have to preach the message of doom in the gospel. We have to. I've been thinking about this, because I grew up in this world, right? Of this church world, where we often come and we, we proclaim this gospel, and this gospel, we call it, we say, hey, you should become a friend of Jesus. You know, you get to go to heaven. And that's it. The problem is this, and this is just plain logic. Why? Why do I need that? Because we forgot the first part of the gospel. We are all sinners before a holy God. It doesn't matter how good you are. 
We are all sinners in desperate need of God's grace and his mercy. That is why I should become a friend of Jesus. Because right now I'm an enemy of Jesus. Because if I don't go to heaven, the only other option is to go to hell. Where God actively pours out his wrath upon you. We need the full message of the good news of Jesus Christ. We have to preach the message of doom because it might bring those who are the mightiest, like this king of Nineveh, to a place of humility. We've got to proclaim the full gospel to show that God, in his wrath, he remembers mercy because he is a God who's compassionate and gracious. And this is most shown in the cross. In that grace, we pray that people will respond. So what? You know, this chapter begins with the Lord telling Jonah to preach a message of eminent doom to the wicked people in this great city. And that's actually something that we need to take a look at. Uh, if we go back to verse 3, now Nineveh was in an exceedingly great city. The Hebrew actually talks about how this is a great city to God. Not just that it's a great city, but that it's a great city to God. God cared for this city. He cared for the people in this city. That's why he sent Jonah. The point is clear. God brings justice to bear against evil, and evil Nineveh is about to experience his justice. But we also see God's compassion, because God desires for the Ninevites to not be destructed, but to be delivered. The message that God told Jonah to preach was to be a warning against their evil as well as an invitation to turn from it. And turn from it, they did. On that first day of Jonah preaching, everyone in the city, from the king to the lowest servants, even the livestock, had sackcloth on. Fasting and and crying out to the Almighty God. These outward signs of repentance are accompanied by the Ninevites turning from their evil. Do you see that too in there? They turned. They stopped doing it. They repented. Their behavior is a model of true repentance and faith, as Jesus himself makes clear. We see this in Luke 11. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Or Jesus says again in Matthew 12, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus declared that the Ninevites will stand up in the day of judgment to condemn the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people of that time, because they were the ones that repented. Not the people that thought that they were okay. And in response to their repentance, the Lord extends his forgiveness, which has been his real desire all along. Because God is patient. 2 Peter 3.9 Not wanting anyone to perish, 
but everyone to come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2.4, He wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He manifests His sovereignty, not in stubbornness, but in grace. Not in a narrow way of thinking, but in the willingness to forgive any people. See, to the Israelites who are reading this text, who are going through this, the character of God should be incredibly clear, just as it is for us who grew up in the church. But Because the language borrows from their past. Just as the Lord relented of the disaster that he had said he would do, the Ninevites for their evil, there was a time when he relented from disaster that he had spoken of bringing on the Israelites for their evil. This was meant to humble the Israelites and it's meant to humble us as well. No longer can they look down on the other nations for their evil, delighting in their coming judgment when they themselves have been just as evil and just as much in need of the Lord's mercy and grace. I remember a pastor of mine growing up he said this. He says there should be two safe places in, one's person, in, in a person's life. It should be their home and the church. Because the people in the church should understand what they've been saved from. We should be the quickest people to offer grace and mercy. Not letting them get away with it. So let's not talk about that. We address the sin in their lives. We see that with Jesus and the woman in the well. But we have compassion and mercy and grace and a willingness to walk with these people from where they are to where they need to go. Because we understand what we've been saved from. The other day I was talking with someone and they said, in this group setting, they said, uh, we just need to become more aware of our sin before God. It doesn't matter if you lied and that's it, or if you were the drug dealer on the corner. We're all in desperate need of God's grace. And if you've experienced God's grace, you need to pour that out on other people around you. And this is what we see here. See, God in his wrath remembers his compassion and pours out his grace upon these people. See, if Israel received this needed mercy and grace, should they not desire it for the, all those who need it? Should I not look at the person across the street who is so far away from God and say, this is what you need? And take the time and the boldness to go across and say, hey, introduce yourself first, but have I told you about this Savior? Jesus Christ. Maybe get to know them a little bit so you know some of the brokenness that is in their life and introduce them to the one who is the great healer. If we have experienced the same mercy and grace through Jesus, should our hearts not burn with the desire for others to experience it as well? Should it not? See, Jonah's problem in Jonah 1 was that he had experienced God's grace, but he didn't want anyone else to experience it. So God teaches him a quick little lesson, three-day lesson. If I've experienced God's grace, do I not want other people to know it? Because outside of Jesus, 
Everyone I come into contact with who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is destined to one place, and it's not a nice place. It's a gnashing of teeth. It's separation from God. It's, it's God's judgment upon them. It's hell. See, as for Jonah, he had experienced the Lord's mercy and grace in this last chapter here. Surely we, he will now respond with deep praise to the Lord for showing the same grace and mercy in chapter 4. This might be our hope as we enter into this next chapter next week, but we should be ready to be completely and utterly disappointed. Because as I read Jonah, I laugh. Because I like to laugh at myself. And I see him, myself, in this through every page. The God of wrath, he remembers mercy because he is a God who is compassionate and gracious. See, there are many times when God gives us a second chance, third chance. Yeah, keep counting. We make many, 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 many mistakes. I was reflecting upon this last night about how many mistakes I made just as a parent yesterday. (laughs) Don't worry, though. He allows us to have a second chance with our grandkids. (laughs) For me, I slacked off in school all the time. Amen. I put poor effort into that. But later in life, in his mercy, he provides us and me skilled training or an opportunity to keep doing our schooling. We squander our finances. When we become faithful stewards, he cleans up our credit score and gets rid of our debts. See, the most important, the greatest need, the greatest thing he's given us so many chances on is when we live in sin. Rejecting his call for salvation, worshiping other gods of our own making, living life our own way. And God has a second chance for that too. He offers us eternal life through Jesus Christ who died on the cross as our substitution and rose again to justify us before the Lord. And many others too will have a second chance to repent and believe the gospel if we preach the message of doom to them just like was preached to us. In God's wrath, he remembers mercy because he is a God who is compassionate and gracious. Let us continue to worship our awesome God together. Father God, we just thank you for today. I thank you for Jonah. I thank you for the reminder that we have of your grace in his life. How you took a broken man and you used him for your glory to call all of these people, 120,000 people, to you. Through a broken man. Lord, I thank you for the grace and the mercy that you so vividly show in this word. May we continue to worship and to glorify you. And amen.